Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We hope you will open up your Bibles to the book of James today and learn with us as we continue our series called The Matters of Real Christianity. Today, we will be looking at verses 14 through 26 of chapter 2, where we will see that our works are a matter of faith. Here is Pastor Roy. open your Bibles to James chapter 2. We are continuing our series on the book of James, and we are finishing up the last half of chapter 2, and we've titled the message today, Works a Matter of Faith. So we'll begin reading in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 through the end of the chapter, and then uh, bring some challenging thoughts uh, to us. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestors Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Some people would argue that James and Paul disagree on the whole matter of faith. Because if we turn to the book of Romans or Galatians, we can see Paul talking about a man being justified by faith and not by observing the works of the law. Our memory verse, Romans 5.1, Therefore, uh, seeing we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it seems like Paul is saying a person is justified by faith without observing the works of the law, and it's faith alone, but then we turn to the book of James, and he says it's faith plus works equals justification as it were before God so which one is right do they in fact disagree and the answer is no they do not disagree they actually have a different focus and a different purpose for writing Paul was writing to combat legalism because some people were believing that they could gain God's approval through works and they believed that if they did works that that would give them salvation. And Paul is saying, no, there is no salvation in works whatsoever. 
We are not justified by those works. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul was focusing on a saving faith. James, on the other hand, is also focusing on saving faith, but he is focusing on a saving faith that really is a serving faith. It's a faith that serves. If you are genuinely saved and you have a saving faith, he's saying you have a serving faith. You're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul combated legalism that one could earn his way to heaven. James dealt with counterfeit faith that had no effect on a person's life. So James tells us this, a faith that works will manifest itself in three ways. One, it will demonstrate compassion by ministering to the needs of others. He starts off with two rhetorical questions that both answers really require a no. Look what he says. What good is it in verse 14, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but no deeds? A rhetorical question. Can such faith save him? And the answer is no. When he comes down to the judgment of Christ and he says, Lord, Lord, and he has not done any works or works from saving faith, that faith will not save him in the day of judgment. Therefore, those of us who profess with our lips to know Jesus Christ and we do no works whatsoever and we stand before God and we say, well, we confess, I bowed at an altar when I was six or seven years old or when I was 10 or 12, whatever age it is, if there has been no life change and works, you will not, that will not be saving faith on judgment day. You need to rethink what your saving faith really is. James is saying that saving faith results in a life that is transformed, not just from justification, but it turns into a sanctification, where we separate ourselves from the world and we begin to invest in the body of Christ, and we make a difference by our lives. We demonstrate compassion by ministering to the needs of others. That's why he goes on with this hypothetical situation in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. That was a common Hebrew phrase that they would often say, when, hey, go, I wish you well. Like everything's fine, everything's handy dandy. Keep warm and well-fed, as though it was someone else's responsibility to do that. He says, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What kind of faith is that? He's saying, if you have someone, especially in the household of faith, because he tells us, Paul tells us in Galatians, right? Do good to those, especially those of the household of faith. And here he says, suppose a brother or sister... Somebody even in the midst of your community and church is without the daily necessities of life and you show no compassion to them? What kind of faith is that? It's worthless and useless. Our faith, in other words, has to be more than fire insurance. That I prayed to keep myself out of hell. If that's all the deeper your faith is, you don't have saving faith. That's what James is saying. Has to carry greater meaning than just being able to sit down and do spiritual dialogue with someone over Starbucks coffee next to a, a, a fireplace and you discuss theological 
doctrine. If that's as deep as our faith goes, he's saying it's not deep enough. It has to go deeper than that. Some people want to argue over homardiology and soteriology. They want to argue over pneumatology and eschatology, and the answer really is, who cares? <laughs> who cares if we know those things? It's people's lives that, that are at stake. Like Jason and Erica share, there's college students' lives at stake. There's children who come to our Awana program whose lives are at stake. And I know that Jeff and Sherry need more workers. We need people who will not only confess Jesus as Lord, but will actually serve and get down with a child with a runny nose and a cough, and yet struggling at home, and they need someone to love them and care for them and minister to them and be the channel of Christ to them. That's what James is saying. That kind of faith will work. It will serve. He goes on to say, that an audible message without visible action is meaningless. We've got all the right words. We have all the right phrases. We understand how to communicate doctrine. But yet, without visible action, what does it really mean? It's hollow. Kind of like what Paul wrote about the love chapter. You know, love is like a clanging cymbal if we don't really practice it. An audible message without visible action is meaningless. Nice words apart from loving actions are hollow. Someone once said that actions speak louder than words and speak fewer lies. And I think it's true. Some of the most challenging people to show compassion to, I think, can be customer service representatives. You agree? Man, I'll tell you what, I, a number of years ago, we wanted to cancel our internet provider and for purposes of this illustration, that internet provider will remain anonymous, okay? I'm not here to blast somebody and, you know. But I'm telling you, when I called on the phone to cancel that internet provider, it would have been easier to get an act of Congress passed. I think I could have got a bill through the House of Representatives and Senate quicker than I could get that internet provider to cancel our internet service, and it is challenging to show compassion when somebody won't do what you ask them to do. And yet God has called us as Christians to do that. Sometimes I wonder if Paul's thorn in the flesh was a customer service representative of something he wanted to cancel. Because it can be very challenging. And I don't know, who do you find most challenging to show compassion to and minister to their needs? I want you to think for a moment, who are the most challenging people? Is it somebody from a different ethnicity, a different age group, different social group? Who is the most difficult people you find to show compassion to? That's what God is calling us to do. In Romans 2.13, Paul says it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. He says in Romans 3.28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Again, our saving faith is faith in Christ alone, apart from works. But if we have a saving faith, it is a faith that does work. Okay? That's what we need to understand. 
Second part here is visible action combined with an audible message is powerful. If we have both, because sometimes you've got to meet a physical need before you can answer a spiritual need. There's a physical need that somebody has, and you meet that need, and their ears all of a sudden begin to come open to the gospel. Why? Because now they see the gospel in action, and a picture paints a thousand words. So visible action combined with an audible message is powerful. I remember my boss when I was a bread salesman, before I got into ministry, he came to a Bible study at my double-wide trailer because he said, I wanted to see what made you tick. He was not a Christian. My life was not perfect, but it was changed enough and different enough that he wanted to know, why are you different? <laughs> why are you marched to a beat of a different drum? And he came. And then he came to our church several times. I don't know that he still knows the Lord today, but I've had an opportunity to influence him. And that's what the purpose of the works is about, is that God would be glorified. Somebody said your behavior is a reflection of what you truly believe. A.W. Tozer said too many Christians... Christ is little more than an idea, or at best an ideal. He is not a fact. Millions of professed believers talk as if he were real and act as if he were not. He says our actual position is always to be discovered by the way we act, not by the way we talk. And I think how true that is. Secondly, we need to discriminate between profession of faith and possession of faith. Notice what he says in 18 through 20. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? The profession of faith it's just an intellectual assent. Oh, yeah, I believe that. He's saying the devils believe that and tremble. Now, here's the interesting thing. The devils believe this and do what? Tremble. Why do they tremble? They're in fear because they only intellectually assent to, yes, there's a God. They have not volitionally submitted to this God. Remember, it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Interestingly enough, the demons do not have peace with God. They have fear. The reason they have fear is because they have not volitionally submitted to God. Therefore, they have fear. People who give intellectual assent to God only live in fear of God rather than at peace with God. Possession of faith is intellectual as well as emotional and volitional assent where I submit to God. I surrender my life to God. And when I do that, I have saving faith. Let me give you three things about saving faith then. Saving faith requires receiving God's Spirit. It says in Romans 8, 9, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Saving faith has the Spirit of God, possession of the Spirit of God. 
on the inside. So it's not just works, but the Spirit of God working in me then begins to work to bring glory to God. I remember uh, growing up, and, and I'm reminded of this lady, Mrs. Clifford. She only lived to 49 years of age, but she had a tremendous impact on her entire neighborhood as a 49-year-old housewife. Do you know how she had an impact? She talked about her faith, and she lived it out in front of the kids. And her son was in a car accident, a serious car accident, life-threatening injuries. And the doctor was concerned about the life of her son and, and kind of expressed that. But Mrs. Clifford had talked to the Lord. And the Lord had confirmed in her heart that her son was going to be fine. And so the doctor was sharing his concern, and she just kind of reached up and patted the doctor. She said, that's okay, doctor. He's going to be just fine because of her incredible faith. But here's the thing. How do I know, because I never met Mrs. Clifford. She died years before I was ever born. How do I know Mrs. Clifford had such an impact in her neighborhood on children? You know how I know? My dad was one of the children. He was one of the children. Now think about this. I never met Mrs. Clifford. Her faith not only impacted my dad, it's impacted me. I never met her. It's impacted my children. Her faith, because of her faith and her works, has gone on from genera at least three generations, and it will continue on because that's the impact we have and the influence that we have when we have this possession of faith. Recently, I read a biography on the life of William Tyndale. William Tyndale is the reason we have a copy of the English Bible. We would not have the Bible in English if it wasn't for William Tyndale. He was born in the 16th century in England. He had such a passion and a heart to do the work of God. He said he wanted every person, even a plowboy, to have a copy of the Bible in his own tongue. And he was so passionate about it, it was against the law to print the Bible in England. It was against the law. You could be arrested and you could be executed. Even though he knew that, his saving faith caused him to work untiringly and perseveringly to get us a copy of the English Bible. When they first started printing the English Bible, the authorities heard about it, and they came in, and they stopped the printing presses on the Gospel of Matthew. Didn't even make it to the second Gospel. The Gospel, and they stopped, and they took the papers and ran. They heard the authorities were coming and ran. And William Tyndale was a fugitive for 12 years. He left his own country never to return. Never to return. And he lived as a fugitive for 12 years. Do you know how he died? He was put in a dungeon, a prison, for almost a year waiting his execution. He was sick. He was still trying to translate the Bible in the dungeon. He would not give up. And when he finally died, they had him at the stake, and they put an iron chain around his neck and strangled him. 
And then they blew up his body with gunpowder. And right before he died, you know what he said? May the king of England's eyes be opened. Now that's saving faith. That's a faith that works. That he was so passionate about us having a copy of the Bible and knowing the Bible, not just so we could know it, but so we could live it out. The American Gospel, this was written by Bill Hall, who wrote uh, the Complete Discipleship book. He says, the American Gospel teaches that faith equals agreement with a set of religious facts. That's weak. That's what the American Gospel has done. He goes on to say, believing in Jesus has no meaning if we don't follow him in discipleship. The next thing about saving faith is it's exhibited by righteous deeds. If we have saving faith, there will be righteous deeds that will be a part of that faith. You want an example? Look at Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered a proper sacrifice. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham packed up his family and moved. By faith, Moses suffered with the people of God, confronted Pharaoh and led the people through the Red Sea. By faith, Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. By faith, Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho and they collapsed. By faith, Gideon demonstrated courage in the face of fear. But notice it was their saving faith that motivated them to do righteous deeds. We can't just be a pew sitter, we can't just be a service attender. We have to be a contender of the faith. Saving faith puts God's word into practice. Talks about that, the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man built his house upon the rock. He was putting God's word into practice. Faith Bill Hall goes on to say that faith that doesn't result in action isn't faith, it's something less than faith. The Christian faith and following Jesus are irrevocably linked. Let me say that again. The Christian faith and following Jesus are irrevocably linked. So we need to discriminate between a profession of faith and a possession of faith. We need to demonstrate compassion to those in need. And thirdly, we need to develop trust in God even during the potential of great risk. The example of William Tyndale, he did that very thing. But there's also two examples in our text. The first one is the example of the patriarch Abraham. Notice what it says here. In verse 21, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified 
by what he does and not by faith alone. By the way, when did God credit Abraham with that righteousness? It was in Genesis 15, which would have, could have been possibly 30 years before he did his act with Isaac. But it was his saving faith that caused him to do his righteous deed, what he did. So how do we, how do we see the example of the patriarch Abraham Here's some things we can learn from his life. We need to follow God's instructions. Follow God's instructions. When we look back in Genesis, and we'll look at it just really quickly, in Genesis 22, Abraham is tested. God tests him. He says, Abraham, he says, I'm here. God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the region. And the very next verse says, early the next morning. So here's what we do. We follow God instantly. Most people delay. Well, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. And sometimes you just need to respond to the Lord. Yes, pray, but pray, pray and respond to what God wants you to do. Another area in Bethesda Church where we need development of people is in the area of ABF. We need more ABF teachers. We have teachers who have taught for years who are in their 70s and 80s and they're probably not going to be able to do it when they're in their 90s and 100s. <laughs> and so where is the next generation coming in to say, you know what, here, God has given me the gift of teaching. I want to serve. Here, God has given me the gift of working with children. I want to work in Awana. <laughs> and follow God's instructions instantly. Don't wait. Don't wait. Oh, that, somebody else can do that better than I can. God has gifted you and equipped you. Don't operate in fear. Operate in faith. There should be plenty of people to serve in the areas of ministry that God has given us. Secondly, follow God's instructions appropriately. What I mean by that, there is preparation that goes into following God's instructions. See, God told Abraham, get some wood together. Get some donkeys loaded up, saddled up and ready. I mean, you've got to feed those animals and get them ready. Do it appropriately. You've got to go through the steps of preparation. Don't just think you go to the top. <laughs> Be willing to do it appropriately. Necessary preparation. Learn discipline through education and training. It builds character. Thirdly, follow God's instructions fully. Fully. Don't stop short of what God wants you to do. And that's what Abraham did. He went to the mountain God told him about. It. He didn't even tell him exactly what was going to happen. But he followed God fully and he even got that knife extended over his son's chest to plunge it in there. He followed God fully until God said, stop. So go until he says, stop. Follow him fully. Yaroslav Pelikan, and I don't know who this is, but I like his quote. He says, tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those still living. Then we go on to the example of the prostitute Rahab. So we go from a patriarch to a prostitute. Notice what the prostitute learned. She hid the spies, sent people off in a different direction, diverted people away, James is not praising her for her former life of prostitution. 
That's not what he's commending. He's commending her for her life of faith, where she comes to evidently saving faith in Christ, her genuine faith, but here's a couple things we can see in her life. Familiar yourself with God's activity in the past. When we look at the book of Joshua, chapter 2, what Rahab did in sending those people off, here's what she did. It says, she says, I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that we all live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water at the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. She was rehearsing and familiarized herself with God's activity in the past to know that he would be faithful in the present. And that's important. We have to sometimes rehearse the faithfulness of God, familiarizing ourselves with God's activity in the past. And then lastly, forget past failures by capitalizing on present opportunities. Rahab would have had a past that she could have said, you know what? I have messed up so many times, how could God possibly use me? I mean, I have blown it so many times. I've lived a horrible life, a wretched life, and she could rehearse all that horrible stuff over and over and live in that cycle of depression and failure and regret and never move past that to say, God, I trust you, and I want to be used by you. We all have a past. God has redeemed us so we can live for him in the present and trust him for the future. That's what he wants to do in our, our lives. Well, let's stand for a word of prayer. Let me ask you a question as you bow your heads and close your eyes. How are you manifesting your faith right now? Young person, it can't be mom and dad's faith. What are you doing right now to serve the Lord? doesn't say after you reach a certain age you get serious, you start serving God now. Serving God. It may mean that you take a stand for Christ when all your friends are not taking a stand for Christ. They talk like the world, they act like the world, they want you to be like the world, and you may need to take a strong stand for Christ. That's a work that God can do in and through you. You may be here and you've been coming to this church for a while, but you really haven't gotten plugged in. <laughs> your faith is no deeper than Sunday morning, showing up for church. That's the depth of your faith. That's not a saving faith. Saving faith is getting involved in the work of God. To move God's enterprise another step forward in the right direction so that if God took you out of the picture, you would be missed. <laughs> Your influence would be missed. Your involvement would be missed. You're not just agreeing with a set of religious facts. You have a possession of faith and not just a profession of faith. And you're also developing trust in God, even during the potential of great risk. Maybe for you it's a great risk to step out and say, you know what, I'm going to try this, and, and, and I'm scared. It's okay. <laughs> there have been plenty of people who have done that. And you know what? God is going to have your back. 
Because if, if you fail, he fails. <laughs> you make him look bad, and he doesn't want to look bad. If you are working in your area of gifting, God is going to empower you as you serve him. What is God saying to you about faith and works? It's time to get involved. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, saving faith is more than just coming to church. There's a genuineness of receiving the Spirit of God. You've been convicted by the Spirit of God. And you cannot pillow your head without saying, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve your eternal wrath, your eternal judgment, but I know that in your mercy you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. That I could have saving faith in Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we would be glad to pray with you and show you from God's Word how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have questions, let's sit down and talk. Let's just have an open dialogue. And if you open your heart to the Lord, it's amazing what He can do. Let's bow for a word of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.